You're listening to Recognise Red, the podcast, where we talk about the cultural impact of Me Too and the work that we still have yet to do. I'm Bea Hartshorn, and I'll be talking to campaigners, academics and creatives about the projects that they're working on to fight for gender equality. In this episode, I talk to Maya and Gemma Tutton from Our Streets Now, a campaign to make public sexual harassment illegal in the UK, and... Emily and I talk about submissions that we've received regarding this type of harassment and talk about our own experiences as well. Today's guests are Maya and Gemma Tutton, who've launched Our Streets Now, a campaign to make street harassment illegal in the UK, and their call for action is being heard. Our Streets Now has been featured everywhere from the BBC to Girls Talk, and currently their petition has over 200,000 signatures and continues to ignite conversations regarding gender equality and the roles of power and privilege in our society. Welcome to the podcast, Maya and Gemma. Thank you for having us. So how did Our Streets Now start? So it it came from both of our experiences. I have um, experienced PSH since I was 11 years old. Um, But when we saw the law in France, it really showed us that we could implement change here and that we should. I think um, it was very much born, like Gemma said, from our own experiences, which is really important. And so you mentioned this law that you're kind of modelling your petition on. And when I saw this, it gave me such kind of such hope because this is actually an achievable goal. There's already legislation in France. Could you explain a little bit how this works and how an equivalent law could work in the UK? Yeah, so France wasn't actually the first country even to introduce um, legislative measures against public sexual harassment. Oh, cool. Yeah, there's all sorts of countries across Europe who have started kind of a wave of legislating against public sexual harassment. Um, And a lot of that is in response to the Istanbul Convention, which uh, built on CEDAW um, in basically demanding that states have a higher standard in terms of violence against women and girls and did more to tackle... Um, sexual harassment in public spaces. So that's kind of why we've seen a wave of legislation across Europe. And we obviously um, wanted to encourage the UK government to uh, jump on that wave and find an English, well, a UK uh, solution. Um, In terms of the French law, it's it's a very kind of unique response to public sexual harassment. Um, A lot of the other European and indeed like all across the world um, and particularly in Latin America have gone down a criminal route, but the French law is actually fines based. Um, So the idea is that you, a a police officer would witness the incident of PSH and then hand down an on the spot fine as they would with um, speeding or um, littering or something like that. so we, uh, although we, you know, we started the campaign inspired by seeing the French law because it was the first law that we'd, we ourselves um, became aware of, we've actually kind of, you know, over the process of the last year, looked into all the different um, legislative solutions and um, moved away from the fines-based approach, mainly because it sends, I think, quite a dangerous message in a way to equate public sexual harassment with Littering and speeding is, you know, obviously it's a form of violence against women and girls, and I think it should be recognised as such. So we've actually kind of changed our uh, legislative, well, one of our legislative aims from being a fines-based approach to actually introducing um, a specific criminal offence within the UK tackling public sexual harassment. That's incredible. I'm so in awe of the work you're doing. You use the term public sexual harassment. What, What public areas does that include? literally can be anywhere that is deemed as public space which could be 
anywhere from, you know, obviously in the streets to restaurants, to bars, to gyms, to parks, literally anywhere which is public space. Anywhere. So the legal definition is like anywhere that the public has entrance to. Um, so like Gemma said, you know, that really it's so much wider than, than just the street. And that's why we, you know, use the term public sexual harassment, because we want to emphasize that this is happening across all forms of public space rather than just um, in the street. Up until now, it kind of feels as though we haven't had we haven't had these conversations to actually tackle these issues. So I think that this terminology and this law could be, you know, just revolutionary. And I saw something that you posted recently about the phrase catcalling. And I thought that was really interesting because sadly it's it's a term I've never really questioned like the suggestions of. So what would you actually count as public sexual harassment? And could you maybe explain a little bit about your choice to kind of not use catcalling? Yeah, of course. Um, so it's actually been quite a long and really important process that we've gone through as a campaign in terms of figuring out what language we want to use to describe these intrusions in public space. Um, and there's you know, quite a big academic debate about it, but also a debate almost like within popular culture between the more um, commonly used terms, like you said, catcalling, wolf whistling, and then um, the more legalistic language of public sexual harassment. And then you have more um, lang- language that's tried to stay closer to the actual experience and moves towards intrusion. So there's all sorts of different words. We've chosen public sexual harassment for three key reasons. Yeah, so the first being obviously catcalling and wolf whistling don't really apply to women because we're not um animals and we're not dogs <laughs> yeah, so we we feel that it's very dehumanizing in a way and then obviously it's it it feels like it downplays it it doesn't it doesn't say it for what it is it doesn't say harassment in the name and it is harassment and it is tied to other forms of harassment like workplace harassment or uh, even domestic violence and yeah, the third point is that we really want to like reclaim language. I think a lot of the, the the problems that we've come up against in this campaign is the normalization and the trivialization and the misunderstanding of what this violence is and what it does in our lives and the, the myths and taboos around it being a compliment. And essentially what we're trying to do by reclaiming language and saying we're going to use this term is denying all of those t- taboos any kind of entryway because I think if you talk about catcalling people immediately you know they have kind of normative assumptions about like oh it's just a catcall it's just something whereas if you reclaim language and you say no this is public sexual harassment it's kind of drawing a line in the sand and saying you know this is where violence against women and girls starts and this is where we say no. Yeah and hopefully it will really help to shift people's understanding of the issue and you receive so many testimonies on your Instagram page and you can see that it's you know happening everywhere, regardless of what you look like, your age, your ethnicity. Why do you think it's so common? Um, yeah, I mean, it's been very humbling, actually, to see the, the sheer volume of people who have come forward with their experiences. And like you say, um, you know, that cuts across kind of every group in society um, and obviously is disproportionately represented in certain groups. So, for example, uh, queer women experience much higher rates of public sexual harassment, as do um, women of colour and particularly black women at younger ages um, so I think for us it's just been a really interesting process 
in kind of opening our doors to these testimonies and having like floods and floods of stories coming through and realizing that 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 process itself is really important you know and and it's really the the fact that people are coming forward and telling their stories like this is very much in the wake of me too people are using their experiences to reclaim agency over what's happened to them yeah I think I think that what you say is really really kind of key it's it's like the recognition is coming from the fact that people feel so they can talk about it and so more people begin to realize the magnitude of sexual harassment and sexual violence Something that I found particularly upsetting, Gemma, is that you said that you had an experience when you were just 11, still in primary school. And before now, you've said that you've um, you've had testimonies from girls as young as eight, which is just so upsetting to hear. Right? What kind of discussions do you think need to happen in schools? Because, you know, along with legislation, you also need to change culture. So what do you think schools should be doing to make girls feel empowered, safe and respected? And well, everyone, you know, not just not just people who identify as girls. Yeah. So I think the main issue with young girls is that we often tend to blame ourselves. Um, obviously, there's a huge culture of blaming women anyways. But when you're young, you don't really I couldn't separate my experience. You know, I, I the first time I experienced PSH, I was wearing um, shorts and I immediately put the blame on myself. I immediately thought, oh, well, it's my fault. I shouldn't have been wearing such short shorts. I mean, I was 11 years old, like very clearly a child already thinking like that. So I think the main conversation that really needs to be had um, amongst young girls, especially is knowing that it is never your fault because no matter what you wear, you will experience PSH. Like I, basically all of my experiences, I mean, we live in England, so obviously it's quite cold, have been in uh, in leggings or in trousers. And I think also what, like, what we've been trying to do at the moment with the campaign is figure out like how best we can, you know, develop these educational kind of plans and initiatives and that's why we we ran a survey just last month actually um, and had an amazing amazing number of responses telling us you know from students who are victims of PSH this is what we want and the two big things that came out of of that so far that we've analyzed have been number one um kids just want to be taught about this in schools like they want figures of authority to tell them what this is and what's going on and that it's not their fault and to talk to you know potential future perpetrators and explain to them that the impact that this is having and uh you know that this is not this is not an okay behavior and then the second is about reporting and you know um only 23 percent of the the students that we surveyed even knew how to report a case of psh and i think that is so wrong you know schools should be having measures in place where students can anonymously safely share their testimonies of public sexual harassment with the school in order for the school to respond and make you know the spaces in and around school uh safe for all their students your survey has raised some really interesting points and i know that even even up until I was in sixth form, I can remember my, my head of sixth kind of having a go, all girls in sixth form saying, oh, well, you can't have your bra strap showing. And we were just like, why? And she was like, oh, because otherwise it's going to like encourage, you know, you're going to kind of almost tease the younger boys in school. And, and it's just like, you're, you're blaming us for what we're wearing. Like, just because we don't want to dress a certain way that you shouldn't be perpetuating that, that victim blaming. So I think that, yeah, hopefully, um, schools will begin to have these conversations as well. 
the education system shapes our understanding of how we interact with one another. And from talking to people who are involved in campaigning for better sex ed and yourself, it seems that obviously these conversations are beginning to happen and they're beginning to be more feminist and more inclusive. But universities, that's a different system. So that kind of obviously exists out of like national curriculums. But obviously the issue still exists too. And um, recently you shared an NUS survey on lad culture and sexism from 2014 that stated female students mostly say that they wouldn't report sexual comments because no one would take them seriously. Whereas male students say that they don't think that they need reporting. So what do you think universities need to do? And just for clarification, if street harassment is illegal, then would that mean on campus too? Yeah, so just to clear up the the legal point, that's actually something that we've been really concerned about um, throughout because um, I am a university student and I've, you know, uh, had... Uh, many incidents of PSH on campus and a lot of students have been sexually harassed on camp- on university campuses so we're really really passionate about um, the legislation also applying to that so that is actually one of the really important factors that we're considering in the drafting of the legislation um, is how to include those kind of spaces um, and still be within the the boundaries of the law but yeah that is we 100% are thinking and focusing on sexual harassment in universities and um, in terms of like all the other things that we want to do um, culturally speaking we are we again have done a survey with uh, university students to find out what they want and the preliminary findings have been really really fascinating about you know universities up and down the country and what they are and aren't doing um, something that's coming out really really strongly is that students really want consent workshops and consent workshops that talk about public sexual harassment. Um, again, like in the secondary schools, they want better reporting tools um, and more effective ways of communicating to the university what's happened to them. Um, something else that we really, really want to um, encourage universities to start doing is you know, using their funds and using their own publicity to put out awareness campaigns about their zero tolerance policies around sexual harassment. Um, there's, I mean, obviously in the last you know, two, three years, there's been a huge amount across all UK universities about sexual harass- harassment on campuses. Um, and I think that we really are keen to make sure that public sexual harassment is not um, forgotten in, in those conversations, because I think often we talk about um, cases of sexual assault and violence between you know a professor and a student or student on student um, but what's happening in a lot of universities particularly you know in bigger cities is that students might you know be w- uh, victims of public sexual harassment on their way to university and that still is something that universities should be responding to. Yeah definitely from my experience there's not enough you know advertising on the systems in reporting tools that are already in place and then also they're not necessarily wanting to you know kind of promote these conversations on consent I was talking to someone about issues you don't know if you remember you probably do the issues that Warwick Uni had with their you know group chats and that was all in the media and Warwick Uni were very fast to to respond to that but sometimes when these issues aren't high profile in the media then universities don't really want to publicize these issues because then it might appear that they might suggest oh we have a problem at this particular university so I think that kind of encouraging universities to include public sexual harassment is really important because it's just it's just part of the system of our patriarchal society sadly so we we can't you know be welcoming people into universities 
And you're saying this is a safe space, but not giving people the tools to make them feel empowered and kind of go off into the world. As we've just spoken about, it has an impact on our daily lives, like whether it's walking to school or uni. And over time, it can, or even instantly, it can affect how we feel in our own body. From the testimonies that you receive, what's the impression that you get in terms of how it makes people feel? Yeah, well, so we know um, studies have shown that uh, public sexual harassment affects our mental health, both in the long term and the short term. In the short term, it produces feelings of fear, of anger, of anxiety. And in the longer term, it's been linked to uh, even depression and um, it's been linked to worsening eating disorders and, and body images uh, issues. And that's been really apparent, um, people telling us. I mean, I know that for me, my heart rate definitely quickens and I definitely... Uh, feel very scared especially when I'm walking um, home alone or at night but it has definitely been re reflected in the testimony sent in. Yeah and I think it's been really interesting to see how again um, I think every individual experiences public sexual harassment differently and you know something like having anxiety will just completely change the way that you interact with public well the way that you feel when someone harasses you and I think that's you know what we've tried to do is really just take the testimony exactly as it is and post it on our Instagram in order to never kind of speak on behalf of people, but genuinely just to say, this is what someone shared with us and we want to share it back with you because nothing I think can be more powerful than just hearing about all the different ways that this is negatively impacting the lives of, you know, women, girls, gender diverse people, marginalized genders. You know, this is something that's cutting across society and having a huge amount of impact and understanding how and why that's doing it is I think best done through testimony. So you touched upon there that public sexual harassment affects people differently depending on their identities and these are often like multi-intersecting identities. Could you two talk about how privilege kind of plays into public sexual harassment? Because I think we're beginning to have more and more conversations about the fact that, you know, if you're, if you're a queer woman, if you're a black woman, these are going to have different effects on the way that you're interacted with and, and how that might make you feel. So could you maybe talk about how privilege plays into public sexual harassment? Well, so there's this article, which I really recommend anyone um, reading. We posted it several times on our Instagram and it's um, by your fat friend who is, um, a, you know, a blogger, writer, Instagrammer, um, who writes about fat phobia and she wrote an incredible piece about when she calls it when catcalling is fat calling and it, it was a very illuminating piece for us right really early on in the campaign because it has this sentence which says um, essentially you know we only hear about one kind of body being harassed mm. that's you know in nearly every way my body and Gemma's body and that's why people are willing to listen to us. That's why, you know, like you said at the start, we've got media attention. That's why, you know, it's privilege is why we're talking today and why we have our campaign is because people are willing to hear our experiences of public sexual harassment because they fit the media narrative um, that is, that that is you know, completely predominant in our society. Um, hearing like a pretty white girl talk about, uh, being sexually harassed is much, much more acceptable to our society than a black queer woman talking about how, you know, she's been racially harassed as well as homophobically, as well as because of her gender. And I think the thing is, is that we, as a campaign, have a duty and absolutely, you know, have tried to, from, from, the, from the outset to not only recognise our own privilege as founders, but also to say, how can we best, 
you know, kind of immediately flip other stories onto our Instagram. So use the media that we've gotten um, as two white girls uh, in order to actually say, but our experience is not the experience that we need to be talking about, actually, you know, uh, it's almost kind of, we always think about it and joke about it. It's, it's almost like hacking the system because what we what you're doing is saying, okay, now you followed our Instagram. Now, let, why, don't, let, why don't we talk about the fact that disabled women are twice as likely to experience sexual assault? Uh, or, you know, and, and, and I think, like you say, I mean, everybody experiences public, sexually, public sexual harassment so differently. And that's why we've been really, really keen to um, use all our medias and all our awareness campaigns in order to shine a light on those different intersections. I think that what you've just said about being aware of your privilege when campaigning is such an important discussion. On Women's Hour, you said that these conversations aren't just conversations that we should be having in our friendship circles. So how would you say that we can take direct action either in our day-to-day lives or whether people want to start campaigns of their own or how can all people can help with your campaign? How do we kind of break out of potential echo chambers or expose to the same kinds of conversation? Yeah, I, I think it's a really, really tricky one because on the one hand, you know, we massively try and encourage people to have conversations with the people in their life. At the same time, this is often can be, you know, very traumatic incidences. And we don't want to tell victims of PSH, not only is it, you know, you're, you're the one who's the victim, but then you're the one who has to take action against it. And so it's kind of a really tricky balance to play there for us because, you know, just standing up within yourself and having a conversation with yourself and saying, this is not my fault is incredibly brave. And that can be, you know, um, that can be the start or it can be the end. Uh, we saw, Gemini um, saw Tarana Burke speak um, this year, who's obviously, yeah, the founder of Me Too. And she said this really powerful thing, which kind of changed the way that we've related to all of this, where she said, you know, that moment of saying me too to yourself can be everything or it can be the beginning. And I think that's the same with public sexual harassment. You know, um, if you want to take action, there's so many things that you can do. And, you know, we'd love to have you and, 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 and talk to your friends, to your family, to your teachers, um, you know, lobby your local trans or lobby your local nightclubs to have better policies. I mean, there's just so much work to be done, but at the same time, know that it's not your responsibility to do that because at the end of the day if you're the victim of public sexual harassment it's not on you you know what I mean to, to be the person who who writes that wrong definitely I, th- I think that that's yeah incredibly well said just as a kind of final question what activists or whether it's testimonies who and what inspires you yeah so we'll just maybe do one each if that's all right yeah Okay, cool. Um, so I would say, um, I think uh, Amy Cavanaugh has been, um, actually, what well, I'll say too, actually, Amy Cavanaugh and Diva Head. Um, so Amy Cavanaugh is an incredible um, activist who started a movement called Just Ask Don't Grab. And uh, basically, it's about the non-consensual touching of disabled women in public space. And she is an absolute force and an amazing uh, woman, a disabled woman who I massively recommend everyone to follow, especially on Twitter. And then the other person is, yeah, Diva Syed, who is actually someone who reached out to us really, really early on in the campaign. And I know you've had her on the podcast. Um, uh, And yeah, and I think the way that she's kind of tied public sexual harassment in her discussions to workplace harassment is just so important. Um, And she's been like a massive support 
to us um, since starting the campaign. Yeah, and for me, it would definitely be Florence Given. She, I mean, she's literally the most amazing human being in the whole world. I mean, <laughs> she talks about not putting people on pedestals, but, you know, she um, she is an illustrator. And basically, she she used to, I think she posted like two or three illustrations around public sexual harassment Um were actually two really interesting ones. One which had a caption, which was a woman waiting on her, a woman on her own is not waiting for you. And then another one talking about the fact that when you've experienced and witnessed public sexual harassment for so long, when it stops, you kind of start to think that it's your, like, again, that it's your fault or that something's wrong with you. So she, she starts, she starts so many interesting conversations and she's such an inspiration for me. She just makes them so accessible, right? Sorry, I've got I've got her TikTok. Um, stop raising him. He's not your son in my head now, and I'm like, not now. But you know, it, she's having such important conversations. And I think that those those examples that you've given of of activists that you admire are people who we should all maybe look to. And I know that you guys are definitely inspirations of mine. Sorry, not to get too mushy. It's funny you mentioned TikTok actually, because we've just started our own TikTok uh, today. Uh, today actually, yeah, we're going to be posting about it. Oh, cool. So. Um, do we do we get like a little insight into what you've been doing? Well, basically, the plan is to we'll have a, a few people in the R Streets team uh, who'll be you know regularly posting them. But then we're also going to ask our followers to send us their own funny videos or stories or testimonies so that we can post them on our TikTok. That's brilliant. Again, you're hacking the system. You're hacking TikTok to make people recognise that public sexual harassment is what we need to be talking about. Thank you so much. Um, Maya and Gemma for coming on the podcast it's been lovely to talk to you so where can people find you online well so on Instagram TikTok and now um, Twitter and Facebook we're all our streets now uh, on our social medias and then our website is uh, www.ourstreetsnow.org and that's where we encourage um, anyone who's a victim of public sexual harassment to share their story with us if they feel that they'd like to do so. Also, anyone who is still maybe a bit confused about exactly what public sexual harassment is or what they can do, definitely go there because there is all of the information there. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having us on, Abigail. It's been lovely talking to you. And now we're going to look at some experiences that um, people have sent in to us regarding street harassment. Um, obviously this is a trigger warning, so if anyone would like to switch off now, you can. I was walking back from town in the evening and a group of boys were going past. One of them called me a bitch and another one grabbed my ass when I walked past. Since it happened so quickly and I was so shocked, I didn't respond and I kept walking home. But a couple minutes later, I burst into tears. I was so humiliated and angry that a stranger felt that they had the right to touch my body. People need to realise that this behaviour is not acceptable and that it's incredibly damaging to the people who experience it. Everyone deserves the right to feel safe when walking home. Wow, that's just so terrifying. I'm sure everyone's had similar situations. It's something that we all can relate to, which is profoundly disappointing, frankly. But yeah, the fact that they say that this stranger felt they had a right to touch their body is what really stood out to me there, because no one has that right to anyone else without consent exactly and I think that that experience of you know feeling violated is unfortunately like as you've as you've suggested there is one that's really common and it's the more that we share these experiences hopefully the more people they will reach the other experience that we were going to discuss is someone that said 
So obviously I've experienced all the usual catcalling and stuff, which makes me pretty uncomfortable. But the one that really stands out to me was on the way to TP once, some guys catcalled my friend and told her she had the best bum in Exeter. But then they proceeded to shout at me and tell me I had a shit body. It was so unsolicited and nasty, and it had a lasting impact on my self-confidence. It doesn't bother me so much anymore, because I've realised it says a lot more about them than me. But it was really hurtful at the time, and I'd hate for any other girl to be in that position. That's just ridiculous, isn't it? I think what this particular submission shows is that this is this is just abuse you know and and nasty comments about someone's body from someone you don't even know exactly it's encouraging people to rank women against other women or men against other men and it's it shouldn't be this hierarchy yeah that's exactly what they're doing is that they're shouting abuse at one girl in the kind of guise of a compliment and then they're sh- shouting abuse and degrading and humiliating mm. the girl who shared this submission. So, yeah, it's establishing a hierarchy and ranking women against one another, and that's just horrific. And again, something else which relates back to the first submission we just read out is that this person opens by saying, so obviously I've experienced all the usual catcalling. And the words obviously and usual are just so devastating because why is it obvious they've experienced this and why should it be usual catcalling? Catcalling should be something that's very out of the ordinary and something which people are shocked to hear about or shocked to have experienced as opposed to a normality and part of everyday life. Yeah, this has actually made me think about something that happened to me because obviously it's talking about Mm. being in Exeter and now I'm home and I'm not in Exeter because because of COVID-19, the joys. And um, yeah, it makes me think back to earlier I think it was in second year in university and I had I think I had a Mm. week where like two yeah it was literally a week where two incidents occurred of public street harassment and they weren't verbal they were physical and right and the first one was that a guy and a man followed me in the street Uh, it was only like seven o'clock and it was early in the term so it was like still quite you know summery and light outside even at seven o'clock in the evening and um and this guy just kind of followed me down the street and kept on he was just like kind of pointing his crotch at me like thrusting forward and it was really foul and he then he would go across the road again and then he'd come back and do it again and it got to the point where I walked to McDonald's at the end of the street and I I never I had to talk to the security because I was like I can't I'm only hanging around McDonald's, you know, I'm vegan, I don't eat McDonald's, and I was hanging around at McDonald's for the security, and I didn't even think that that I could call the police, and that someone was harassing me. Yeah, yeah. And in the same week, it was a group of guys, like a lad's night out, but they were like in their their mid-twenties maybe, and they were all following me, and all kind of quite close and there must have been like about at least four of them and they were probably you know in my mind comparatively like these big rugby guys and I'm there like just not able to take them on at all and I ended up facing the back of my body to the wall that I was uh, the, of the shop that I was walking past because I, I didn't know I had no control over that situation whatsoever and they went off and they were making comments I think maybe once they had like gone down the opposite street, I, I said something ridiculous and it was completely like innocuous and I don't think they heard it. But I remember being terrified and I looked at my friend who had been there on both occasions and she was mm. like, you've got to be kidding me. This is the second time it's happened in the same week. And it's not a compliment. You know, it doesn't have to necessarily be verbal. 
and you know as as the first submission showed and it it's incredibly intimidating and it's something that actually made me feel really really unsafe you know having it being a constant worry just isn't isn't okay so sorry you had to go through that that's awful and especially the frequency of these incidences and I also think um at the moment it doesn't feel like a right it feels like you're a nuisance if you complain or call them out so I think we really need to shift the way we perceive these events and how we react to them by it being a right as opposed to a nuisance or something that shouldn't be addressed You've been listening to Recognise Red Presents Hashtag Discuss. Thanks to Maya and Gemma Tutton for coming on the podcast. And if you liked what you were listening to, you can rate, review and subscribe. See you next time.